We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And finally, after a few months, we get to talk some real basketball action. I'm your host, Alex Golden. And today I'm going to be joined by the one and only Rhett Bauer from 8 Points, 9 Seconds. Rhett, what's going on, man? Alex, I'm doing well. I cannot tell you how great it was to be able to watch actual basketball. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, and I, and I hate to be this guy, but I feel so bad for so many of our people on Pacers Twitter. I think you were part of them. Not able to watch the game live because not a lot of places are streaming it uh, for, for most like streaming services like YouTube, Hulu, and all that. If you don't have at and TV, you're pretty much out of luck right now. Yeah, it's, it's a bummer. And to further compound on that, NBA League Pass, Team Pass, whichever one you want to look at, is still, char- is there still advertising 82 games. It's like, well, that's not what the season's going to be, but you still <laughs> pay full price. Oh, that's a bummer. And then I, I know our buddy Mark Schindler – he said he's right in between Ohio and Indiana, and so he was blocked out for both of them. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, that, that's ridiculous. So, But anyway, um, last night, first preseason action. Let's just start from the top. What was the thing that stood out to you the most in last night's game? Uh, just energy, I feel like. they were We were swiping passing lanes. We were getting the ball out, pushing ton of early shot clock, threes, uh, good shots, bad shots, but – it was definitely a sense of urgency and a sense of pace that was just shockingly different from previous Nate. Oh yeah. I, I totally agree. I, I will say this. It was floppy. There's no doubt about it, but it oh, is absolutely. a preseason and we you know no TJ Warren, Aaron holiday started with the, with Sabonis Turner, Brogdon Oladipo, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I'm just trying to see how these guys look, what kind of actions they were running. That's what I was more concerned with. And I, I saw a lot of different things that I did not see from Nate McMillan, a lot of ball movement, and if you haven't already, Caitlin Cooper has tons of stuff on her Twitter account where she shows pre- like similar plays that the Raptors ran that the Pacers are running now. And the Raptors are probably one of the more efficient cutting teams in the entire NBA off-ball movement. It's just exactly what Bjorken preached, and I think we saw a lot of it. Yeah, I think there were – 
there were so many different kinds of passes. Like Miles, I think, had two lobs in the first quarter. I don't think he hit on either one of them, but he had two lobs. I think Justin had another one or Sumner had another one. Like just a ton of like high-flying, quick passes, quick decision-making, and not afraid to put the ball up. It was, uh, it was a sight to see. I loved it. Yeah, and it, and it kind of felt funny because there for a while – we did see that second unit that we saw a lot last year with Sabonis, with the Holiday Brothers, McDermott and McConnell for most of that first half playing that second unit role. And that was interesting to me. I was kind of surprised, or not surprised, but I was unsure of how Bjorka's rotation went. But, I mean, once again, it looked like McDermott, Sabonis, and Justin Holiday and that group were just clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, yeah, not surprising at all. Doug had a great game. McConnell, nine assists. I mean, you can't really ask for much more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it was funny. McConnell's first shot in the game was a three that took him about seven yes. seconds to line up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it was the only three he took, and it was really ugly. But, you know, it was funny because we're like, oh, that's the shot that's going to be taken. Well, thankfully, that was the only one he took because if McConnell's going to be playing a lot of minutes, I don't want him shooting that three because it's just that gross. Yeah, I mean, you saw you saw Domas three, you saw McConnell three. I think Jakar got two threes up or one three up. It was uh, it was interesting to see that change. But yeah, I think if McConnell's going to be in the game, and I think uh, Quinn called it out too. He he, McConnell got to the free throw line at one point and passed out of it. It was like you know, if you're not going to shoot the three and dribble into the free throw line, that's a shot you got to take. Mm-hmm. No, and he took that shot a lot last year. So of course, yep. it's uh, it's interesting because McConnell is not the most efficient scorer, but he is, like you said, nine assists gets guys involved. And so I'm curious your thoughts because Aaron Holiday did get the start next to Oladipo and Brogdon, which means that McConnell was really the only point guard off the bench aside from Evan Sumner. But I don't really view Sumner as a point guard type of player. I view him more as a wing. So you know, with T.J. Warren being out you know, Holiday got that start. But if T.J. Warren's back, do you envision, you know, Aaron playing those minutes on the bench? Or do you think McConnell is still ahead of him in that pecking order? I think you have to give Aaron the extra minutes. I I mean, we saw, like, we know what playoff basketball is. And T.J. McConnell will get exposed in playoff basketball because of his inability to shoot the three. He does so many things that are great. But Aaron is just a more well-rounded player. Um, less of a true point guard, like we said, and, and some of the intangible things uh, that TJ brings, Aaron doesn't quite get there. But I think that unless there's some sort of foul trouble or anything like that, there should there should be very few games this year where uh, TJ McConnell gets over 20 minutes, uh, especially if Aaron isn't getting 20 minutes. Well, and I think a lot of this comes down to it's like, how deep is the rotation? Are they going to play nine or 10 guys? It looks like they're going to play 10 based on the minutes last night and how they were dispersed. But it really comes down to, do you play Sumner more or McConnell more? And I think that's a conversation we need to have because while the conversation for the most part is how do you stagger McDermott or uh, no, not McDermott, Turner and Sabonis' minutes, where, where do you figure out with, with the backup rotation? Because there's a lot of good players on this bench and trying to find the right amount of playing time is going to be difficult for them. And I just, to me personally, it's like, I know what McConnell can do. I know what he can provide. It's very steady. And I think that that's something a coach probably relies upon, but I see the upside with Sumner. I think this is a guy that could really make a difference, but at the same time, he's probably not the offensive creator that McConnell is. So that's probably where there are some issues with trying to figure out who should get those minutes. But you know, it's just, it feels like this, this backcourt, unfortunately, is a little bit crowded. 
Backcourt is definitely crowded, and I think everybody knew that going into the year. And that's what you said earlier about Sumner being more of a wing, I think, is the answer to the question because we know the Pacers' lack of wing depth, and we know the crowded front court uh, or backcourt, sorry. And so that's kind of where you have to get those minutes in. We, we started with three guards, obviously, without TJ Warren and played with three guards most of the time. And I think that you play Ed in that, quote unquote, small forward role. Uh, and that's the way he's going to get those minutes. But as far as choosing between him and McConnell, it comes down to who else is on the floor, because I don't really want. Sumner to be the primary creator. He's not going to control an offense like we just said. So if he's playing with Brogdon, if he's playing with Aaron, I think that's a good deal. But uh, if, if he's expected to go out there and handle the ball a little bit more, that's not really what I think his role should be. Yeah, because I think I'd be okay if he was playing with Sabonis, if they, if they did that second yeah. unit that they usually have. But insert Sumner for McConnell just to give them a little bit more defensive uh, length, you know, on the perimeter out there with, with Sumner because he's so lanky. I mean, that's one thing that we all were talking about in that Heat series is his ability to stay with Duncan Robinson and get his hands in passing lanes and stuff like that. Where McConnell doesn't really have the length, he just has the heart and the hustle, which I, I think Sumner has too, but McConnell just probably has a little bit more of it in my opinion. But right. I think another question we were kind of trying to figure out is if they play Justin Holiday at the four once again this year, because he is pretty undersized for a power forward. And that is exactly what they did. They went back to him at the four, playing smaller. I thought Jakar Sampson might get more of an opportunity maybe when Goga is healthy, we'll see something staggered because with both with both Batadze and TJ Warren out, it did pretty much eliminate your power forward position outside of uh, outside of Holiday for the bench. I mean, you could have played McDermott there, and I don't think McDermott's, you know, strong enough to do it, or you could have played Jakar. But Jakar didn't get any minutes with the second unit or the first unit, so played a lot with those young guys towards the end. So, I guess my question is, are you surprised when the holiday is playing the four again? And, and do you think this is something that they will continue to do? Yeah, I, I'm not really surprised. I guess in this context, I was surprised because, you know, you had McDermott in, get 28 minutes in a preseason game. Like that just seems like a lot. I know he's not probably playing the power forward position, but Jakar wasn't playing the power forward position either. He was the center the whole time while the young guns were True. out there. So. And I think that, it, again, it comes down to regular season basketball, play, uh, playoff basketball. Jakar was forced in a role uh, against the Heat because Sabonis was out where he was playing those backup center minutes because Gogo wasn't really ready for that. Uh, but I think once you get Warren in and Goga in, there should be very few minutes for Jakar uh, at the power forward spot unless, uh, unless you just need a change of pace, uh, mm -hmm. get some energy off the bench. Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. And I'm just going to stay here on the bench as we kind of close this bench conversation out. Keelan Martin, uh, 12 minutes last night, four of nine from the field, 11 points. You know, pretty much he was the talk of Pacers Twitter for that fourth quarter. What were your thoughts on his performance in that, in that game of the preseason? He looked really, really good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like he was, he looked great defensively. He was on the floor uh, going after loose balls. He was getting some great rebounds. Um, then, then his three, like he was only two of six. So it doesn't look super great. 33% below average for the league, but no hesitation on the shot and uh, was, was there ready to shoot. And he made a lot of winning plays. I know it shows he was minus 11 in the box score, but I don't really care about that that much. <laughs> he looked really, really good. Yeah. I think if he continues to play this well, whenever he's given the opportunity, 
if he is kept on the roster, which I'm assuming he'll be in that 15-man roster, mm-hmm. I think he could push maybe Sumner for that position a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if I'm pushing things too much, but I just feel like Sumner, he has some to prove. I mean, I like Sumner's game. Don't get me wrong. I think that he should be given a chance to play with that second unit. But, I mean, I like Keelan Martin a lot too, and this is somebody that – pretty good rebounder for his size, you know, is a good defender, not a great three-point shooter, I guess, but hey, it's just first game. I mean, we got a lot more to see from him. It's just preseason. Don't want to overreact, but I mean, it's not like Sumner was really getting the crack with that second unit anyway. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And as much as we talk about Sumner being a wing, Martin is probably more of a wing just because he's sturdier, he's stockier. Um, and I really think that he could have a chance to play some some significant minutes this year because of the lack of wing depth. Like he's Keelan Martin was out there on the perimeter guarding bigger dudes. He was essentially the four while Samson was out there playing the five. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that was really good to see. I'm excited to see him moving forward. Yeah. He is pretty much built like Malcolm Brogdon, six foot five, 230 pounds. So definitely a stockier guy, someone that, mm-hmm. you know, I I'm a fan of, I thought it was a kind of an interesting signing more. It felt more like a training camp signing, but at the same time, I mean, if we've seen it like with Jakar Sampson, like this is guy, this is a guy brought in on a minimum deal last year, and he played his way into the rotation of the playoffs. So I think Keelan Martin, somebody to keep your eye on, as someone that could push those guys at the end of the bench. So uh, let's kind of move over now into that starting five. We did mention Aaron Holiday a little bit, but I want to get to uh, the big conversation: Oladipo, Brogdon, Turner, and Sabonis. So where do you want to start, Rhett? Uh, start at the top. You got to start with Sabonis, I think. Okay, let's go with it. So Domas, 5 of 12 in the first preseason game, did take three uh, three-point attempts, missed yeah. them all, 6 of 10 from the free throw line, 13 rebounds, two assists, one steal, five turnovers, was a plus nine, had 16 points in 26 minutes. What were your thoughts on Domas overall? Point Domas. Yeah. Getting the rebound, bringing it up the floor, and it didn't look great when he did it. I'll be honest about that. He got a little out of control once he got down to the lane, Um, but just a pretty big change of pace in that regard. But then at the same time, just doing what he always does and going down lefty hook and just rebounding the heck out of the basketball. Uh, Five turnovers is a lot, but that's just preseason basketball. I don't chalk. I don't, I don't put too much into that. Well, and I think, you know, I think we noticed a lot of his turnovers did come last year when he did play that point forward a little bit, he'd kind of get, uh, ahead of himself and try to push the ball and seems a little clunky with it. But I think if he's given that role and that responsibility throughout the season, he'll clean that up and he'll get better at it. But I'll say one thing that's not even something you see in the box score. The very first couple of plays, I think he set like five or six screens in like the first two actions of play. And it's just like, and you see the separation that he creates for these guys. It just goes to show you like one thing we talk about a lot is how great of a screener DeMontis Sabonis is, but sometimes we just, kind of overlook how important it is because if you go back to that heat series, nobody could get to the basket because there was zero separation on any of those screen and rolls. And Domas does just a great job getting his body into the defender. And I think he would have had a much better, uh, he would have done a much better job of rolling to the basket once the heat switched that and putting some pressure on them. So that's why, I mean, when you see Domas back in there, sure he, you know, guarding Kevin Love is, you know, something I'm, I just still don't like him guarding Forrest. He's not great at it. He's going to have to work on it. They're going to do different things, I think, to figure that out. And, and maybe he does play more five and his, his and Turner's minutes are more staggered once, once Warren's back in the rotation. But 
you know, last night they played they played a good amount together, not like a ton, but a pretty good amount. And all I can say is it's good to have Domas back. Yeah, and honestly, Cleveland's one of the teams where bringing two bigs kind of makes sense because Love oh, yeah. isn't going to blow by Savonis. And honestly, I thought he did a decent job around the perimeter. And then even switching uh, Miles and Domas a little bit, Domas was on Drummond and did a good enough job down there as well. And while Miles obviously is good on the perimeter, so that was a that was a good sight to see the active feet them on Domas's part there. But yeah, I it was just great to see that he had 16, 13, two and a steal, but 40% shootings. So like, you know, that there's room to, to grow in only yeah. 25 minutes. So I think that there's a great chance that uh, it's, it's great to see that Domas can be productive in somewhat limited minutes, because that just means that there's a chance that guys like Goga can get more run and we can run miles more as a lone center. Uh, not that we want to limit minutes for our best player, but if that plantar fasciitis is still, a uh, a concern or just a consideration, something in the back of your mind, it kind of makes sense to limit limit Domas's minutes as long as we're still winning basketball games. Well, and now you have Warren's fasciitis as well that's popping up, so this is good for Turner if he can stay healthy because I feel like you can figure out a way to divide those minutes between those three and then some formation of Justin Holiday and Goga Batadze at that four or five position. So I mean, there's 48 or there's actually 96 minutes to be played between those two positions. So that definitely gives you room to figure out and finagle those minutes and, and how they're dispersed amongst, amongst the players. But I will say this, my final thoughts on Domas, like, you know, I was a little bit like just anxious to see what he looked like in this new offense, in this new system, how he would be utilized. Would it, you know, feel like he was taking a step back because he wasn't, you know, as involved, but, or that's what the, that's what the thoughts were, but I thought he was pretty involved in the offense. I, I thought he was kind of the focal point once again. Yeah, absolutely. I was a little bit, not worried, but I was curious about what that was going to look like. Yeah. Uh, and he definitely was still the hub for a good amount of things. I feel like the Pacers ran a couple different sort of sets or schemes, uh, but Domas was definitely on or he was involved in the action almost every single time because he's such a good screener like you said but then also getting the ball in the high post or out on the perimeter and looking to make things happen yeah and you know what I thought I thought it'd be so funny if just out of like a joke like for a sense like Nate Bjorkren came out there and the first play he ran was like a dribble handoff with Sabonis and Brogdon and then it was like everybody just watching just to mess with people because they <laughs> yeah, feel like we're, no off ball action yeah, at all no off ball action yep. run old Nate's offense and then run the India play on their first on that out of bounds play and just yes. like just to mess with people because I feel like that would have been hilarious like what is he doing you know but um, that was just a cynical me thinking in the back of my head like how hilarious that'd be to mess with people but mm-hmm. um, I want to move on to Victor Oladipo now because two of six didn't really shoot the ball a lot was oh four from three you know, I, I thought last night when I was watching him play, I wasn't necessarily worried about his stat line, but just how he looked. And there was one play I remember him dunking the basketball. Mm-hmm. And I cannot remember if he dunked the ball last year in the regular season. I don't remember him doing it all in the bubble. I think he tried against Jimmy Butler and got blocked and looked a little hesitant to go to the basket. But seeing him dunk that ball, to me, it felt like Victor was not all the way there, but it seemed like he was closer to being old Vic than he was in the bubble. Yeah, there were a couple instances that caught my eye, one of which was, well, I guess, both. But he had two steals where he jumped a passing lane and like really got that burst out there and then went and finished. But then another one where he couldn't quite get past Darius Garland, and that was 
that was something that was interesting to me. And then he got stripped, but Isaac Okoro really uh, lived up to his expectation as a defender because he was stripping everybody. But I did think that Vic showed uh, a good energy and a good uh, buy-in to what Bjorkman was talking about and, and preaching this whole time. And uh, I, I really, his three ball was not falling, like you said, oh of four, but um, ultimately played within what I feel like the system was a little bit more than what I was kind of expecting. I, I expected him to, you know, as as the best player on the team or like the highest ceiling player on the team and coming back from injury, feeling like he might have to prove himself. I was glad to see that he only got the six shots. Yeah. He definitely looked like, the, he looked like the fourth option last night, really Yeah, out of the starters. I mean, Turner looked like he had a more, a more of a green light or more opportunities to get the ball in the basket. I mean, Turner played pretty well at, last night as well. 14 points, three blocks. Once again, you know, six rebounds, which I'm not too upset about as long as he's blocking shots. You know, I can live with the the lower number and rebounds. I mean, he's never been a double-digit rebounder. So, you know, six has been his average for a long time, but that's two more points. And, you know, two or four from three, he had some nice moves. I think he had a fake pass or – yeah, yes. I think he had a fake pass in a step. They dribbled and got himself set and took a really nice three and drained yep. it. Four or seven from the free throw line. That's not something you usually see from Turner, getting seven free throws in a game. I'm not used to seeing it. So, good to see Turner be a little bit more assertive, be a little more aggressive on a shot and not hesitating to take that three because I think that's one thing that we've been wanting as fans. And I think this coaching staff is just preaching and hammering, shoot the ball miles. Yeah. yeah that was the thing that stood out to me the most of, of all of this, as far as individual players goes is miles was making a lot of mistakes, but it was because he was doing things that he hasn't been doing in the past. Mm-hmm. Like he was getting the ball on the perimeter, taking a couple dribbles in and passing to Domas, or he was getting the ball on the perimeter and looking to make like a good, good crisp pass and then cutting the basket. And then he even had a fast break lay in with uh, McConnell. I think it was in the third quarter or something like that, where it just, he just looked really, really good running the floor, getting the ball and laying it in and making a nice move. But yeah, the, the green light on the threes was nice. I thought it was really interesting. They ran an out of bounds play a stagger on the uh, the left elbow basically where it was designed to get miles the three mm-hmm. and I thought that was really really interesting and, and I hope that that's a sign of the confidence the coaching staff has and the true green light that they talked about in the preseason to to get him those shots and one thing I think that this coaching staff has to do with Turner is they got to build that confidence up because when Miles Turner is confident I've said this before I think he's a much better basketball player and after his name was mentioned in those trade rumors that he addressed and Kevin Pritchard addressed, basically, you know, he was in those trade talks. It was pretty real. You know, he thought he might be dealt. And we saw some of the videos that he had posted of like his highlight yeah. reel dunking on Gordon Hayward and stuff like yep. that. Like we, we know like this is the back of his mind. Like, Hey, this team tried to trade you, but he's being a professional about it. He's coming out here. He likes his, he likes his team. He loves his teammates. And I think this coaching staff is like, hey, look, we don't make those decisions. That's front office related. You're here. We're going to do the best to maximize your talents and help us win games. And I think if they put that emphasis on, hey, Miles, here's what we want you to do and continue to put him in positions to excel, I think that you're just going to see a more confident Miles Turner and a more productive Miles Turner than you've seen in his entire career. Yeah, I I completely agree. And uh, he definitely showed some confidence um, it might've been overconfident in a couple situations where he just made poor decisions, but mm-hmm. 
that's fine. Like the, first off, that's what the preseason's for is you just get out there and you have uh, 30 plus turnovers as a team. Like that's, that's fine. You can, you can pull that off. But I think that him being unlocked as a, an actual shooter and like a, not a threat to shoot, but an actual shooter. Cause like we talk about so much all over Pacers Twitter, Mark and I talk about it all the time. The theoretical version of Miles Turner is better than the real version of Miles Turner. And I think that that was what a lot of people were, were, were talking about when it came to the trade talks is like, well, Miles isn't actually that good. The idea of him is what people are trading for. But I think that we might be able to realize that idea if, uh, if they, they put that confidence in him to actually be, be the shooter that he can be. Yeah. And if they can figure out a way to showcase what he can do when being put in the right position, like not saying I'm going to trade him, but that does definitely mm-hmm. rate his trade stock. If they can mm-hmm. figure out a way to make him, you know, be this player. And I'll tell you, the Raptors, they could use a starting center. I'll just put it that way. Uh, <laughs> and uh, there is uh, some connections there with Coach Bjorkren. So, you know, maybe it's a little trial for Nick Nurse to be like, hey, let's see what we can do. <laughs> let's, let's make a deal. But, but, no, I mean, if Turner's going to be on this team, like one thing you're going to value is that shot blocking protection, which we saw last night. Like I think he had two blocks on the same possession, if, I, if my memory uh, yep. serves me right. And it just goes to show you, like, while you have weaker defenders out there sometimes, like McDermott, you know, sometimes Sabonis, obviously, on the perimeter, there's just guys that are going to get beat. But if you have Turner down there, you have someone that you know that's going to keep that rim protected at all costs. So um, that's why I do like Miles Turner, and I do think that he is a nice fit with this team just because of that. Now, is he the best fit? We can argue that another day. But he's a good player, and I think good players, you know, need to play a lot of minutes. And he led the team in minutes, well, for the starters last night. Uh, McDermott yeah. led it with 28. He had 27. But um, I, I guess to wrap it up here, Rhett, got to talk about the last starter, Malcolm Brogdon, a guy that I thought looked really efficient last night. Six of 10 from the field, four, seven from three. You know, four rebounds, five assists, two steals, one block, only two turnovers, only two personal fouls. And he had 16 points, was a plus three in just 24 minutes. Brogdon looks a lot better in this system. Yes, he looked he looked very good. He was aggressive. He was attacking early, and he wasn't afraid to pull the trigger on a couple off-the-bounce threes. I know Caitlin wrote about that and, and has been talking about that for a little while. He, he hit an off-the-dribble three going left and right around screens or just, uh, just on a regular drive, but then not being afraid to shoot. Like he has seven threes. He hit four of them, so that was awesome. But seven three-point attempts for Malcolm is awesome. Uh, just overall well-rounded stat line and uh, just really, really excited to see him move forward with this system as, uh, as, as long as everybody stays healthy. Yeah, I think so too. And it'll be interesting because I think the wrinkle in all of this is just seeing where TJ Warren fits in with this roster because, I mean, you look at last night's stats and you're thinking, where do you insert TJ Warren? Like you're not going to give him Aaron holidays one for five from the field. Like he's going to get more than that. So you're probably taking away some of Sabonis's and Brogdon and Turner's uh, shot attempts. Maybe. Well, really you're probably taking away Keelan Martin's 12 minutes and nine shots. <laughs> yeah. That's, <laughs> that's probably that's true. what it is. Yeah. That's probably true. I mean, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how TJ is going to fit in this because we know TJ's not, a guy that's known for being a great facilitator actually is pretty bad at passing the ball. He's a scorer. So I think if there's a way that you can get Brogdon a little off ball, but I don't know if getting Brogdon off ball and putting the ball in Warren's hands is really going to get Brogdon those off ball opportunities because he's not a great passer. So 
I'm just trying to figure out where it's all going to come from. But all I can say is even the Pacers lost 107 to 104. Um, they lost in the fourth quarter when they didn't play their starters. They had a pretty nice lead before that. And that third quarter, the Pacers really, you know, outscored the Cavs by 12 and kind of put their stamp on the game like, hey, you know, we're taking care of business. And, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, the Cavs are not a good team, so let's not get ahead of ourselves here and think, oh, the Pacers, you know, we're really good against the bad casting. No, that's not yeah. what I'm saying. But with the new system, with trying to figure out how these guys are going to play together, I was overall impressed with what I saw. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that, uh, you know – you can talk all about what this system's going to be or what you, what you want the system to look like. And you can hype up your off season, all the, all that's just words until you see it come to fruition. And obviously, like you said, it's a bad Cavs team in a preseason game with a lot of minutes to a lot of young guys, but ultimately I really liked what I saw. And I, I think that this is going to suit our team very well as a very well-rounded roster without a, uh, a, a super ball dominant player. Yeah. And now did we talk about cash Stanley very much? No, not really. Nope. Okay. So I know, I know we had talked a little bit off air just about where he played at in the rotation and he got 10 minutes was two of four. Uh, he said he gave himself a C today in the press conference, kind of going over last night's game. He had five points, you know, hit a three pointer, hit a two pointer. I, I, I think cash Stanley is a, is a G league project that maybe could crack the rotation in a couple of years if he continues to prove himself. But I was not overly impressed, but I'm not going to be overly impressed in the first preseason game. I think Stanley looked a little nervous, looked a little uncomfortable with what he was supposed to do. But first game nerves, I can imagine where he's at. But I think this kid is, you know, fun to watch. He's super athletic, that's for sure. Yeah, I think that you're probably right. He's, he's pretty raw, uh, but I will say – that there were a couple possessions. He only had the three, three, three point attempts, four total field goal attempts, but he did not hesitate on the last couple of his shots. The first one wasn't super great. And then uh, he did have a turnover that was pretty bad. I think he stepped out of bounds or something like that, but that seemed to be a theme for the entire game. <laughs> but, uh, but no, overall energy was great. And I, I, I think he could probably crack the rotation just by being that much of an athlete. Uh, yeah. But not not super great, uh, especially with Lamb coming back at some point. Right. Like we talked about, there's so much depth at that wing position. So it's going to be hard for him. Like, I think you kind of have to factor in, like, you could lose McDermott, you could lose McConnell, mm-hmm. and, you know, possibly uh, – Sumner a free agent this upcoming season too? I can't remember. I think he has one more year left. One more year. Okay. Oladipo, yeah. obviously. So there's three wings that you could theoretically not have on your roster next year and – that could mean, hey, there's an opportunity for him to try to crack that 10-man rotation. But I just, you know, it's, it's so deep right now, and I feel like this is a guy like this. He kind of is playing that Alizé Johnson role for me with this team right now. Alizé was a guy that, you know, had, had a lot of upside but never really was given that opportunity to play in the NBA except when it was like a, you know, desperation, all, a lot of injuries or it was a blowout or one way or the other, whether paces were up or down. So – I'd rather invest minutes in a guy like Stanley, who I think could actually be a pro uh, someday and get in the rotation, where Alizé, I never felt like he was that guy that would really crack a a 10-man rotation. Yeah, and I think that it'll be 
pretty easy to say Stanley will get rotation minutes this year just because of how weird this year is. Yeah, that's like, weird. I mean, you should be getting guys like him minutes because you're going to play four games in five nights or something like that. I'm not sure if the Pacers actually have that situation, but there's, there's a good amount of back-to-backs. There's very, very little rest. We're going on just all of those considerations that have been hammered to death. And I think that's a great reason to have Stanley in there. But also I think that there's a certain sort of pressure and experience that comes from playing those minutes with the first unit in the second quarter. Like that's, that's so different than playing 12 minutes in the fourth quarter in a preseason game. That doesn't matter. Like, I think that that's something that I think Bjorkren is going to try to prioritize and it'll, it'll maybe Stanley one game and then he won't play significant minutes for four more games or something like that. But I think that, that, that development, even though it was such a late pick is, is something that I hope is prioritized moving forward just because uh, there's, there's a very big difference between the type of minutes that guys can get. Oh yeah. And that's a great point because if you think about it, that was the end of the first half. So the starters for the Cavs were still in and, yep. and he puts Cassius out there with the four starters and play, replaces Aaron holiday for Stanley there for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. This allows him not only to get his feet wet, but to get his feet wet playing in a situation he would more than likely be playing. in if he were to be called up, which would be, you know, that fifth option on the roster trying to figure out how he can impact the game maybe Mm -hmm. more so defensively than it would be offensively. And I feel like just seeing a guy like Cash or Stanley, it's a, you get excited when you see the highlight videos because of the way he can dunk the basketball and stuff like that. But playing with those four starters, like they have so much more experience. And I think getting him acclimated with that and playing against better competition is only going to get him more ready for NBA action right away then like you said putting them up against a second or third string unit at the end of a preseason game when guys are just trying to jack shots to get on a roster so these were more quality minutes might not have been the quantity that you want but I'll take quality over quantity when it comes to player development yeah exactly like we were we were talking about Sumner starting in the playoffs last year Mm -hmm. like that's a that's a huge jump from the role that he had in the regular obviously injuries plays a part so he had an increased role as it was but like you don't know what the playoffs are going to bring and you don't know what Stanley can bring and I'd really rather not figure that out uh in game three or four of a playoff series when when uh when it actually matters I prefer to just get him in the get him in the fire quick and give give him 72 games of of real experience that way you know what he's what he can do Yeah, there's no doubt about it. So the Pacers play Monday evening against the Cavs once again. So we get a little rematch. believe the Pacers stayed in Cleveland for this one. So they were there for an extended period of time trying to prevent travel with COVID cases. And it looks like Chauncey Billups and Patrick Beverly were not available for the uh, first part of tonight's game because of COVID-related reasons. Now that's up for our discretion because they cannot say what it is. But COVID is going to be a thing that happens this year. We've we've talked about it on almost every podcast. So it's going to be funky. That's why you got to get these guys minutes when you can. And, you know, maybe maybe tomorrow we'll get to see a little bit more of an uptick with Keelan Martin playing in a different role. Um, I would like to see him maybe get some more run with that second unit just to see how he fits in with those guys. Yeah, and honestly, it might make sense for him. This is probably a hot take and super reactionary, but it might make sense for him to play that Cassie Stanley role that uh, in Aaron's spot as well, you know, being a, being a bigger body, you know, to play more on the wing than on the guard spots. Um, And, 
I mean, obviously he's not afraid to shoot it and, and make some pretty good decisions and uh, plays within himself really well. So yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that we see, uh, we see them get closer to 20 minutes tomorrow or yeah, tomorrow yeah. rather than uh, the 10. Yeah. I would be okay if the starters only played the first half or whatever. I mean, yeah, I know they got to do the, what they got to do to get ready because it's a different year, you know, new system, you know, same players, new system, you know, shortened preseason. It's it's a lot to weigh with your options. But yeah, I just want the want these guys to be, you know, healthy and ready for the regular season. And uh, you know, getting out of there in the first half fully healthy, I think that's a, a good sample size of, you know, what you need to work on and what you need to improve upon for the upcoming season. But um yeah, so we pretty much covered a lot. I mean, I know it's the first preseason game, so there's a lot to cover. Um Rhett, where can people find you at on Twitter and what do you have coming out for eight points nine seconds? Yeah, so on Twitter, I'm at R-H-E-T-T underscore B-A-U-E-R. Uh, and for 8.9 seconds, I've got something working right now for uh, what is T.J. Warren worth? Ooh. So uh, be, on, be on the lookout for that. Yeah, it's an interesting question moving forward for the Pacers. That, that definitely is a very important question <laughs> because the Pacers are running out of salary cap room. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's definitely an important question. And then we've got the Aaron Holiday extension that will probably mm-hmm. come up soon as well and possibly the Oladipo extension. So it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of things to weigh, weigh in here. And we know the Pacers are not one to pay the tax, luxury tax. And I don't think that they're going to pay the luxury tax for this current roster. Nope. So we will see some finagling if they want to keep Warren long-term and Aaron Holiday, two guys they've been hesitant to trade when names have been brought up in trade rumors. So keep an eye on that. So I'm excited to read that article, and I'm sure you're going to have all those little tidbits in there. Uh, going a little bit more in-depth about that. But um, make sure you guys check out Setting the Pace 3 on Twitter and on Instagram. We're at Pacers Talk. If you haven't already, it would be awesome if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, so we can kind of hear your thoughts and get your reactions on the show. And make sure you guys are following me at Alex Golden NBA. And we will be back on Tuesday. Myself and Mike Focci will be joined by the one and only Chris Denary to recap game two of the preseason and he'll probably give us some thoughts on game one as well so Rhett I want to thank you so much for coming on it was a pleasure talking to you yep thanks for having me on Alex Sugar Ray Leonard Roberto Duran Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday June 6th only on Showtime